Hello, people, veterans, service personnel. Don't forget that you can get up to 20% off buying a car at Westway Nissan, sponsoring us today. Up to 20% is flipping massive. I say it every time because it is mahoosive. 20% off for service personnel and veterans. Up to 20% off, I should say. Um, they've also got going at the moment, uh, they have got going a golden ticket event. It is happening between the 14th and the 16th of September. You have to get online at westwaynissan.co.uk. Register, basically, it's like a, you have to claim your ticket and get online. You go along to one of the dealerships. They've got dealerships all over the UK, right? All over the UK, including the home of the British Army, down on all the shot. Go online, get your ticket your golden ticket. It gives you exclusive access to some awesome offers they got on between those dates, 14th to the 16th of September. That's a, that's this weekend. This is weekend, Friday to Sunday. You can get selected cars at cost price if you go along to one of their branches. They've got them all over the UK. Uh, take a look at some of the models on their website. And Well, you know, Nissans. Everyone knows Nissan. They're flipping awesome cars. So get some of them at cost price if you want them. Uh, they're also offering uh, 0% APR finance on selected models and up to four and a half grand towards the finance deposit with a representative 5.9% APR, which is, again, a lot of money, four and a half grand, a flipping heck. These guys are throwing it away. Uh, they've got exclusive and limited stock, which isn't available anywhere else in the UK, right? And they've only got a limited number of tickets. You need to get online, the golden ticket, westwaynissan.co.uk's first come, first serve basis. Whack it in, get your ticket and get along to one of their branches. They've got them in, well, up north, they've got the branches everywhere. They've got uh, Altingham, Manchester, Oldham, Rochdale, Stockport, and Midlands. They've got them in Birmingham. Well, they've got two in Birmingham. Birmingham and Birmingham South. Coventry, Stowbridge, and Wolverhampton. And down south, they've got them all, all the shot, as I've already mentioned. Basingstoke, Hamwell, Mill Hill, and Southampton. Get online, get your golden ticket, get along, get some money off, get a good, good, good. And a nice new car, do it cheap. Also sponsoring us today are cam rider warwick they don't just do warwick they do leamington spas but in fact that's the area they are leamington spa and warwick it's basically the same place they only cut them miles apart it's crazy those two places anyway cam cam rider cam rider sponsored us today as well with the uh the very very nice man an experienced motorcycle rider who's currently actually cutting about europe somewhere on his bike on like some mental trip like just him and a tent on his mate i think uh mike gill Mike Gill is the uh, Camrider Warwick manager and the franchisee. Camrider Warwick, they're a flipping awesomely equipped and successful motorcycle training site. All the facilities are there. It's like not the motorcycle training like yard and then classrooms elsewhere. It's all on site and they're right near the uh, the old DSA training centre, uh, the DSA testing centre, I should say. They've got a brand new fleet of motorbikes and mopeds. Well, I know that they're awesome bikes because I have trained there and I do train there. I love their motorbikes, so I'm doing my courses with. Um, they provide the very best in motorcycle rider training from CBT all the way to full test and advanced as well. They've been going for over 34 years and uh, they've got a reputation as the leaders in customer service and quality instruction. You've probably heard of Cam Rider before. They're all over the UK and this uh, this branch is uh, the one I know and they are really good people. Um, just Just call them. Call him for a chat. Get some advice on what's best for you. I wasn't sure about getting a bike license at, at, uh, at one point, and um, then I made a decision to do it. And I, these guys are just down the road, so I walked in, and I was sold straight away. Just you can't personality is everything. You like nice people, and then when I looked online, I thought actually they got the reputation to go with it as well. Really, really uh, a professional organisation across the board. Um, and they do pride themselves that they've got all the facilities out in one place. It means they ain't getting they ain't messing with the students about messing themselves about travelling you there and everywhere. 
this site is based just next to the race course in Warwick, so it's, uh, it's a nice little spot down the back there. Super easy to get there. We've got loads of free parking. Um, like I said, you'll find high-end new motorbikes there just for you to complete, even just your CBT on or your full test training on. Uh, they can loan you helmets. They can loan you jackets. They can loan you gloves. They can loan you waterproofs. They've got their high-vis there. They've got everything for you to go and train. Really cool. So if you want uh, your CBT or full-test motorcycle training in Warwick or Leamington Spa or further field, it's worth travelling. You won't find a better equipped or more professional organisation, to be honest, or a nicer, more pleasant man in Mike Gill and the other instructors. All really nice people. Give them a call. You can give them a call on 01926 890296 or you can find the phone number or use the contact page by going to camrider.com. Look at the Warwick location, you'll be good to go. In fact, everyone uses Facebook. You'll find them on Facebook and they're super responsive. Go into Facebook search Camrider Warwick and you will find them. Drop them a line. Go train with them. That's it for sponsors today. Onto the show. We have got Dirk Hansen on. Dirk Hansen is an American living in the UK. What's that song? Uh, Englishman in New York. Well, he's not. He's a Seattle guy in uh, in Warwick. <laughs> well, not Warwick. Leamington Spa. He's a therapist. He's a counsellor. Um, I met him through doing my own course of therapy with him. Uh, not so long ago and I thought that having someone with his background and his knowledge would be uh, would just be an interesting conversation to have and I hope uh, I really enjoyed it as I always do um, I think he enjoyed it he, he, uh, I think it was a first for him anyway I'll, enough, I'll, stop, I'll stop waffling I did enough waffling in the show I hope you enjoy it I hope you find it beneficial in some way shape or form um, H plus 20 20 flipping shows Jesus Dirk Hansen Life, ready to rock. Try not to. Uh, you want to try. You want to try not to look at the laptop. Okay. Because you just look, it just makes sense. You can look. You can look <laughs> if you want. You're just looking there all the time. Dirk, thank you for coming on, mate. And uh, yeah. super short notice. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks really for having me. Um, you are my first. Uh, or are you the first? No, I was going to say the first civilian. You're not. I've had a civilian on before. Um, but I tell you, you want, mm, you know, just something on before, but your military connection. So for, from my point of mm. view, as I know, unless you've got any other military connection, I might be wrong. I don't know if you've got any military in your family. Yeah. Um, your military connection to me is through working with, um, Headspace, which is a head start. Head, head, headspace is the, <laughs> headspace the is the meditation app, isn't it? <laughs> The one that you should be using yeah. all the time. No, <laughs> Head Starts. Explain what, because I, I missed, before you obviously were talking offline before this, explain to me Head Starts, because I, I yeah. misunderstood what it was. Yeah, Head Starts, I, I, a, Head Starts, a sort, sort of an aspect or an arm of uh, walking with the wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they focus on uh, psychological therapies. Yeah. Counseling, psychotherapy. Uh-huh. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a registered uh, sort of provider counselor for that organization. And they're focused on veterans. Head starter. Head start. And they, so, so they're a charity. They or, are. They, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, so I, I, see, I thought, I, I, I thought Head Start, I thought Head Start was your company. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, see, I completely misunderstood that. Like, obviously, so I've spoken, I've spoken on previous shows about, 
I did a course of therapy. Um, mm. I just mentioned a couple, just in, in talking. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. listen to yourself. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, that was with yourself. Mm. I'm very grateful for right. it. Um, and I came to you through walking with a wounded and now through Head Start, which is another charity, which I mis- misunderstood yeah. that one. And then to yourself. Um, how many, so, so do you, do you deal with, how many other veterans have you dealt with? Well, that, just before I answer that question, I think to it. explain kind of how, how the systems work. Okay. A lot of, and why you thought I was, I was Head Start, mm-hmm. but actually, um, I, I'm a private practitioner. So, um, which is often the case, uh, different organizations, charities in particular, uh, even the NHS in some cases will, will contract with, uh, what we call providers, which is basically counselors and psychotherapists who have specialty or have particular level of training or an understanding of issues and that kind of thing. And they will contract with you. So, so I work on the, I would, I would have worked on the behalf of, uh, of Head Start. And so, it, it should look like I work for Head Start, but in fact, you know, I'm actually in private practice. So I see clients from all around. Uh, people can approach me uh, privately, or I could see them through uh, their GP or through other other charities who fund fund therapy and counseling. How long have you been um, doing it for therapy? Well, I've been doing it for over 25 years. Um, oh, really? Yeah, but but I've had a mixed career of. of Either doing you know one to one work, which I do now in in my office in Leamington. Otherwise, I've worked in um, clinical administration and management and senior senior management. And I was a chief executive at one point. So all around the psychotherapy kind of all area. around counseling, psychotherapy, addictions. Um, I've worked uh, quite a few years in employee assistance, which is uh, where if you work for a company. Sometimes they provide a stress management line or, or a counseling, short-term counseling uh, that's free to the user, but it's funded by the company, and it, that kind of thing. The stress management side, is that um, would that be provided as part of uh, like an occupational health thing? Yes. Like, uh, okay. Yes, absolutely. Because one of the, f- I'm, I've got a background in health and safety, and one of the things, uh, one of the things I, I, one of the, Facts and figures. I'm now going to butcher. I'll get it more or less right, more or less in the ballpark, though. Um, is that stress? So, yeah, stress. So, the biggest cause of work-related ill health is stress. I wish I was told or mm. read somewhere of a part of a study. It might be an HSE study. I think it was last year I saw it. And yet, um, stress management plans. We're already off on a tangent, yeah. Stress stress management plans within within organisations, something like only ten percent of them have any kind of stress management plan whatsoever, or do any any like stress surveys, stress assessments. None mm-hmm. of them do it, but it's the biggest cause of work related ill health. Didn't realise that. So, yeah. I, I would I be right in assuming then for that side of things for you, like business has increased. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, th- I think there's probably more than ten percent of the companies. Yeah. I mean, obviously, larger companies. Uh, are under more mandates to, to mm. provide uh, stress management. Essentially, it's called employee assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, let's say, your company has a health plan, for instance, a private medical plan or other kinds of benefits, they'll usually have a, an employee assistance program as well. And the, the, the good thing about employee assistance programs is they're, unlike occupational health, which was, of course, an, a department in, in the company, 
uh, employee assistance programs are independent companies. And so that's what I used to work for one in London. And we would provide the uh, counseling, the 24-7 maybe helpline, those kinds of things, independent of the organization. But we would have 500 companies that we would uh, provide the services for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you work for, let's, well, well, you work for the NHS, for instance, you might have a, an employee assistance program and you have a separate phone number. It's an 800 number. And the company, your manager and other people would not know that you used it and they wouldn't get any feedback other than high level utilization kinds of feedback. So how many people used the line? What were the kind of presenting problems, you know, that they mentioned so that the company can get a trend report to understand better sort of what, what the employees are, are, are facing, how many people are getting counseling, how many were women, how many were men, those kinds of things, any kind of risk cases. But they can't identify who those employees are, mm-hmm. but they do get some reports for it. Have you, um, did, were you practicing in the States? You are American, aren't you? You're yeah. not Canadian, are you? I don't want to wait upstairs. No, I'm American, yeah. <laughs> People think I'm Canadian, but I'm not. <laughs> it's that soft-spoken voice. It's do, it. Do, do you did the therapists and counselors get training in how to speak nice and the, the sleepy speak? No, I think I was born with that. <laughs> where in where in America are you from? Uh, Seattle, which is oh. on the which is actually just south of Vancouver, BC. So I guess you could you could say I was almost Canadian. So it's not I'm about east, three hours drive coast. south of uh, Vancouver, BC. That's northeast, it's, right? It's northwest. I, Oh my God. I'm trying yeah. to redeem myself. I, yeah. I, I put Boston on the West Coast in conversation. With yeah. No, Seattle, Seattle people usually know because it's the birthplace of Microsoft and Starbucks and places like that. Yeah. It's, it's, I thought Seattle was cold. It's not cold, actually. It's a lot like the UK. It's mm. um, a marine, marine climate. So mm-hmm. it, it sort of tempers the, the, the climate. There's mountains, there's water. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pleasant. Did, that, you, did you grow up there? I did, yeah. Is that what you studied for your... Um... I studied, um, yeah, I had a couple of different sort of career tracks mm-hmm. um, and uh, eventually got a master's degree in uh, counseling, community counseling, and then worked uh, uh, as a case, a mental health case manager. So most of my training was in sort of the more specific medical mental health type type issues and so i worked with the homeless for quite a, a while uh how, how how when you say work with the homeless what did you do well i was a case manager so i used to go out on the streets and uh just get get people in and try to get them safe from from harm uh particularly this was a indigenous uh, native american tribes that i worked for it was a tribal agency and so it was just specific to uh, Native Americans, Alaska Natives, Canadian Natives, uh, people who could access this particular health center. And so I was in the, on the mental health team, and we would just go out the streets of Seattle and, and just try to help the, the Native population, the, the ones who were eligible for services. It was quite a specific contract that I had to fulfill, but I used to try to get them into the health uh, center. And so, so they get medical care, but then also mental health care. So that substance abuse treatment, um, some of them were, uh, had, had major kind of mental conditions like schizophrenia and so on. So we try to get them 
to see the psychiatrist and uh, uh, get on medication if needed and uh, just, just try to get them safe, really. Were they quite receptive of the offer of help, that kind of help? They? Yeah, they were. Um, it was always a challenge. Uh, but, uh, the time, uh, I'll never forget the time that I was there. It was just it was quite, quite a wonderful experience for me because, you know, you, where you have that sense that you're really tangibly helping people. And, um, you know, I used to take them through a, it's <laughs> kind of a funny regime, but it was, it was sort of based on Maslow's hierarchy of need. You know, you sort of start with getting them off the street, getting himself, get them some shelter, so I would get them into the into the the shelters that were available. Then we would uh, try to get them uh, medical care, and then we would try to get them food stamps, and and then we would I would often have to get them new teeth or something like that. You know, it was just really basic kinds of things. But as they became sort of physically able to function better, then we could get them into the higher level emotional kinds of services psychological services you mentioned maslow's hierarchy of need yeah go on What's, i think i got a feeling you said this to me before <laughs> haven't you? except except the shoe was in the other on the other foot and i, I you were the you were hosting me oh maslow's uh, hi hierarchy of need uh yeah i mean i i can't, I can't recite it right now except that it's a pyramid basically mm -hmm. and so at the base is your basic level of this is the needs of human beings food and shelter yeah food and shelter yeah. And then you, you kind of move your way up. Sex is in there somewhere. And, you know, and then uh, it, the highest level is what they call self-actualization at the very peak of, okay. the, of the top of the um, par, uh, yeah. pyramid triangle. So, so at the bottom is sort of, what I'll be right in saying, it's more physical needs. And as, as the further we go, it becomes more emotional. Yeah, more social and emotional. And, um, you know, anything that sort of you would, you would understand to be a, a a need that a driven need within you, you know, so, so we have needs like food, water, shelter, sex, companionship, whatever. But the point of what Maslow was trying to say in, in is, is that you can't get to the upper peak levels of like self-actualization and those kinds of things. If you're suffering at the bottom level. So if you don't have shelter and you don't have food, you can't be thinking about the higher level, you know, needs that you might have. Mm -hmm. Uh, at some at some point, so 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 that was I think the point he was trying to make that you you have to address sort of in a holistic way all all of your needs. So when when you um, I was gonna I was gonna speculate how you approach it like a okay a client client uh, would you client patient what would you, what would you call the people you deal with? Well, first of all, my training has been in counseling, so mm -hmm. uh, counseling and psychotherapy are 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 linked um there's not big big differences only in the sort of the approaches that you use mm -hmm. and also the training you got and sort of the some of the professional associations use different terminology um but counseling is sort of the track that i've been on and so i'm accredited with the british association of counseling and psychotherapy um and we use the term client as opposed to patient which tends to be a more medical uh, approach yeah mm -hmm. oh what is the what's the from the military point of view with the working the organ the charities like Head Start and um, walking with the wounded? What's the so you 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 will get sent a a case a case yeah and do you get is do you do you get the choice whether to take 
take a case on or not. Yeah, you always have a choice. Yeah. Um, and then you you might even have a chance to kind of review the details. So if I get a case, I'll get a, I'll get a phone call or an email from, from somebody at Head Start who say, we've got this person who is in your area, lives in your area. Do you have any vacancies? Do you have appointments available? I'll say yes. And, and then if I agree to... Um, take take the case on then they'll they'll they they have a secure sort of website which is all confidential and they'll share information with me that they got from the gp so so up to that point you're not privileged to any of the personal details not no. like identifying the else no just sort of the general a general outline of it um well sometimes they'll, yeah they might give me a first name and t tell me sort of the basic context of what's going on with mm -hmm. the person but once i agree to take the case then then i have uh uh, usually a GP's assessment or a report or something like that. That, mm -hmm. and again, that's not overly detailed. It's just uh, based upon uh, an assessment that might have occurred at some other stage. Mm -hmm. And then when I take the case on, I'll I'll, I'll sort of do a, a refresher assessment of the individual and just see well how's it how's it going at the moment, and what are the risk factors and things like that. And then I keep my own notes on the sessions just so that I can remember what we talked about and, and see what the progress is, is from, from week to week. Mm. How, how, how are the length of course, court, how are the number of sessions dictated at the start? I think I, well, I did 10. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, 10, 10 to 12 are just general often. I mean that, that, that sometimes is more than what people need. So a lot of people will benefit from maybe six sessions, six to eight sessions, I use that as a measure in terms of how long it takes just to get to know somebody and understand how they think and, and understand their history and understand how they operate in terms of coping strategies and you know how they get on with life and that kind of thing. Six to eight sessions. So if it's a short-term issue, like, like employee assistance, or assistance is often kind of short-term. So if you talk about stress management, for instance, you know, you could you could have six sessions just to talk about, you know, how do I cope with my job and my boss and my colleagues and, and the kids at home and, you know, getting up early, what, whatever it might be. But sometimes those are issues that are, they're circumstantial. They're, they're, they're based upon something that's happening in the moment. So you, you don't need a lot of sessions to kind of get someone to give you some feedback and, and come up with some goals together. Where the session, the longer sets of sessions like for instance, I'm also a Bupa provider, so I, I get cases from Bupa, which is a, a private health uh, care company in in the UK, and they they might authorize you know close to 20 sessions, or you know, it depends. And and those peop those folks oftentimes have a medical diagnosis, like some kind of anxiety reaction or panic disorder, or something like that, which which just takes a bit more time to kind of untangle and and work through. Um, I have a question now. I forgot what I was going to ask you. What the heck was it? It'll come back to me. Do you, um, with the, whether you get a choice of accepting cases or not, do you sort of, is it just sort of a, do you have a, do you have a, not gut instinct, do you have a, like, like a guideline yourself that you follow where on, on not, if it meets certain criteria or doesn't meet certain criteria, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't take a, take something? I think most, therapists and counselors will take most cases um, because our training is quite 
quite broad and and in scope and uh, and people's issues are are you know there's a multitude of issues mm. that we can deal with and do deal with the time where we might not take a case would be if if we felt like um the level of severity uh required you know a, a psychiatrist or, or a medical professional of, of sort of that could access other medical services like inpatient treatment or um, something like that. And because it, it's important for us ethically not to, to work outside of our depth, you know, in, in terms of our knowledge of, of issues and so on. Mm -hmm. But most, most counselors will take most cases um, generally. That's a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose I suppose it's just a question about challenge and they will be depending on the different cases. Yeah, challenge is a is, is an important thing and, and there there are times when counselors uh let's say, you know, I do marriage counseling for instance and couples counseling. So if I was having uh <laughs> problems in my marriage, you know, it might be difficult for me to, to work with couples for the time for the time being or something like that. But that might be an example where there's something that's uh, sort of in the psychotherapy world called transference, which is a Freudian term, um, and it's it's but it's an important term, in ter and, and it, it essentially suggests that the therapist and the client sort of are transferring things to each other, and sometimes the client, let's say, will see the therapist as like their father or their mother or something, and they'll transfer some of their emotions and feelings onto the therapist. And that complicates the, the process a little bit. And it's all sort of... Oh, so transference is a bad thing. Well, transference is a important thing to acknowledge. Okay, it's not necessarily always a bad thing. But that in that case, uh, the client needs to understand that they've got all these emotions and they're sort of putting them on the therapist. And it's not entirely fair, but the therapist should be ready and... To, to deal with that. But it can go the other way as well. The therapist might transfer some of their life circumstances or feelings or something onto the client in the sense that they see things in the client that maybe occurred in their life or, you know, in, in times past. And they have to they have to sort of process through that and make sure that it doesn't deter from what, what's happening. How would that for for a client for the case of transference of a client to the to the the counselor how can you give me an example of how that might occur i don't i'm not quite following yeah I, I probably shouldn't get too deep into this because this I, is I, more of a psychotherapy kind of a, a process yeah but um i let me think how it would, would how it would occur and then how it would manifest itself so if you were saying that um that you know the 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 client might um see the emotionally see them as a, as a father or mother figure and then you I think it's something like guilt um, well I, so how would it affect I, I think I think probably the more if we choose it fairly how well, could it not how would it how could yeah it? one of the more obvious examples would be let's let's say um, let's say your your father left the home when you were a young child and, and abandoned the family or something and so you you go see a therapist later in life, and you you know, and 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 you're having your sessions, and you're bonding with the therapist, and it's going well, and everything. And then the therapist uh, rings you up and cancels an appointment at last at last notice. Well, that that may evoke 
you know, feelings of, oh, he's going to leave. He doesn't want me to be his client anymore. And, and then the client might actually exit therapy at that point because they think what happened to me as a child is not going to happen to me in this relationship. Mm. Now that could have been repeated in, in life in other ways as well, not, not necessarily in a professional capacity. So they might, because they have a fear of abandonment or rejection or something like that, they might be, that might be an experience that they have in other, other, other contexts as well. Mm. But in, in, in therapy and in th psychotherapy in particular, a lot of times they'll process this. They'll talk about, you know, transference in relationships and so on as a way to learn as to, you know, more in depth kinds of things that are happening in your psyche. Mm. Um, counselors, not so much. I think because counselors tend to uh, not see people for quite such a long time in terms of numbers of sessions, but they're also not getting as in, in depth into, you know, past history and childhood issues and so on. They're dealing, trying to deal more with helping people get mobilized, find new ways to cope, you know, set goals, set strategies, at least that generally that's kind of where counseling is focused. So make it manageable in the, so just making things manageable and then, and then addressing the deeper stuff further on if needs yeah. to be. I mean, for me, the, the way my approach is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll deal with deeper issues. I'm not afraid to do that, but that's not the focal point of all of what we're doing. It, if it's useful as a way to bring context to, to why things are happening the way they are at the moment, what we can learn from the past, then let's, let's do that. But we're not going to sort of go, go deep into, you know, talk, talking a lot about, um, history and and childhood kind of related issues if it's relevant it's relevant but you know it's not the focal point mm -hmm. do you do you uh i've got a it just popped in my head actually the i've got a cousin who's a i think she's a psychiatrist or psychologist what's the difference between psychiatrist and psychologist yeah that's a pretty easy distinction uh psychiatrists are actually gps they're they're medical doctors okay so they've gone through the normal medical training that that a gp would go through but they've specialized in psychiatry and so they're able to uh, treat quite severe mental conditions they can prescribe medication and they can do all that kind of neuroscience and stuff or neurology um, uh, yeah because because sometimes people have mental conditions that are actually biological or they're brain related. So they're not necessarily psychological in the sense of like depression. Know, so in some cases, in some cases. Yeah. Um, but more so I think, um, you know, where people might, some people have, you know, lesions on their brain that causes symptoms that look like, you know, depression or anxiety or, um, so psychiatrists are, are able to deal with that. But most, most of the time psychiatrists are doing, similar types of activities to psychologists and psychotherapists in the sense that they are working with uh, people's uh, symptoms like emotional symptoms like anxiety, depression, panic, those kinds of things. But psychiatrists um, are more a, well, they're, they're, they're more, so what would you say? Uh, they're more respected in terms of their di diagnosing capability and their ability to prescribe medication in a very nuanced way. So psychologists? Psychologists are not able to prescribe, as far as I know they can, in the U.S. in some 
situations, antidepressants and things like that. I don't think psychologists can do that here in the UK. Um, so what's the difference in a training? But the, yeah, the psychologists um, are probably similar in terms of their training uh, as a psychotherapist or a counselor to some degree, but they have um, the, 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 their fairly strict uh, definition. Uh, it's a regulated uh, role, I believe. And the, but they would also be in the settings where they would do both uh, diagnostics. So they would make assessments and make judgments from a medical sort of standpoint. And then they would also do testing, psych testing and things mm -hmm. like that. So psychologists you would probably see in the NHS uh, and clinical psychologists in particular. So if somebody had a pretty pretty clear symptoms of a, sort of like say a panic attack or anxiety disorder or, or obsessive compulsive disorder or something like that, they might be assessed by a psychologist who would run a report you know, write up a report or something. Like that. They don't always do counseling as a result. They they would more prepare an understanding of what the condition the person has, write a report, and then that might go out to a counselor or something to, to offer a treatment. Um, but in some treatments, yeah, psychologists will perform. They might do, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or, or some other types of treatment. CBT as abbreviated, yeah. right? Is that what we did? CBT is, uh, well, well... Explain, can you, um, well, there we go. Explain yeah. the different types of the, the methods yeah. you can use. And if you don't okay. Um, CBT is the one that most people have heard about because it's the NHS in particular. And, and you know, the NHS is um, not driven by, but it's it, it adheres to the, the nice guidelines so that the National Institute of Clinical Excellence is a body that in the UK that looks at research and and comes up with recommendations in its own right but then the NHS looks at those recommendations and often will uh, dictate policy right. around treatment um, based upon those guidelines and the nice guidelines and I can't quote them because there's they're, they're they're huge but the, I know that the NICE guidelines has has shown that uh, CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy has shown through research, and of course they do all these research, uh, double blind studies, and all these kinds of things, has has proven to be somewhat effective for depression, anxiety, um, post traumatic stress disorder, and so on, and so. Um, that's why you see it often in the NHS because the, if you went to your GP and said, I had a, you know, I'd had a difficult childhood. I'm not really happy with my job. I don't really like my life. I don't think the GP would probably give you, get, get, give you funded counseling for that. Mm -hmm. But if you went and said, I'm sweating, I'm, I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't sleep. Um, I'm agitated all the time. I, yeah, I can't concentrate. Then they might um, look for some type of anxiety disorder or some type of uh, condition that that they can diagnose, and then they would 
they would recommend cognitive behavioral therapy as a treatment for that in many cases. What? And that, and then, and so, so if anybody who, who has uh, gone to their GP, they, they will, they will start with what they call IAPT, uh, improved access to psychological therapies. It's, just, it's a, it's a program where you, and I think a lot of people who are listening may have done this where you, you, you get a, a telephone assessment and they provide some cognitive behavioral therapy over the telephone to start. And then if, if that's not sort of effective enough, then they might rec, depending upon your situation, they might uh, provide, um, some sessions like 12 sessions or eight sessions of CBT. So, so what is CBT? So, yeah. So cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. is exactly what it sounds like. It's a looking, it's looking at the cognitive processes, which is basically your thinking and your behavior. And the idea behind it is that the, the belief that your thinking, um, results in your emotional process. So if you, if you think a thought, the way you think about things leads to the way you feel about things. So if your, your, your thoughts lead to your feelings and emotions, your feelings, and emotions then tend to lead towards certain types of behaviors. So it, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy is, is to look at that process, try to go back to the beginning. I mean, there's other things that you do. You talk about sort of your core belief system and a little bit about your family and so on. But really what you're trying to get to is what's on your mind? What, what are you thinking and perceiving about a particular situation? And, and, and by, by identifying those, and even in some cases you get out a chart and you write those things down and, and try to capture those thoughts, which they call automatic thoughts that just happen without think, you know, without knowing it just boom. Um, and you try to capture those thoughts start to observe them. And then you, you see the interrelationship between how you're thinking with how you're feeling. And then of course your mood states and your thought, your feelings do tend to drive your behavior. So, you know, for instance, if you, this thought that keeps popping up, like I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. I, you know, I can't, can't get my act together and, and, you know, I'm not good at, my job or I'm not, I, I can't set any goals or whatever. So that's your thoughts that might pop in to your head. And then what's going to result from that is you're not going to feel very good. Are you? You're going to start feeling down. You're going to start sort of being more critical of yourself, driving more negative thoughts. Then you're going to feel even worse. And then you're going to have to try to find some relief from those feelings, which might be, um, acting out, in anger or, you know, drinking alcohol or I don't know what it might be, but that, that's the linkage that you're, sorry, that you're trying to follow. And, uh, the therapy is really just like that going, look, is interrogating those thought processes, looking at, you know, are those, are those rational or irrational thoughts, for instance, and learning how to sort of rethink those automatic thoughts and, and, and again, uh, trying to change your, your thinking patterns and, and processes, which will then essentially have a, have an, a positive effect on your mood states. Yeah. So, so, so part of that would be, um, changing the, the 
the client's perception of certain situations. Yes. So, you know, because the situation's yeah. going to seem the same, right? Yeah. Well, majority of the time. Yeah. It's changing the perception of it. One of the things, and I've mentioned this before as well, one of the, the light bulb moment I had yourself was, um, where you said, you know, I, 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 this is who I was. Mm. This is where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I get back to who I was? Yeah. Because I like that. How <laughs> 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 do I get back to there? You know? And, yeah. um, and you, and you said, um, in an abbreviated version, you said that, have you considered, have you considered that that's who you were? And this is who you are now, and that's who you are now. This is who you are, and it's instead of trying to, instead of looking. So when I thought about things, hmm. the light bulb come on. I thought, oh, the light bulb came on on your couch. I think I went silent for ten <laughs> seconds, and um, I thought actually, yeah, because when I, when you think about it like that, you know, you, you as you go through life, um, you you change, you evolve physically and, and mentally, uh, regardless of what you go through, yeah, you know, yeah, um, and and. And I suppose without, without, let, I mean, let, without, if I hadn't have been part of things that, uh, you know, like the Afghan tours and stuff like that, where, where they're yeah. just generally, generally seen as sort mm. of life changing, but just, just the, the significant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if none of that had happened, would I still be the same? Think the same as I am now. It yeah. never happened, you know. So, so you you evolve as a person, right? Yeah. So when you, you know, so my thought is now that really did that really did change things significant for, for me. Really thinking about it and the way I was perceiving the situation. That okay. So instead of trying to instead of trying to deal with my daily life based on who I was mentally, yeah. what my capabilities were, yeah. deal with my life how I am now. It it changed my outlook completely. Absolutely, that's um, a brilliant example, actually. Uh, is it right that, um, is this correct? You may know, you may not. I've heard it, um, a few times. Is that the the frontal lobe, the frontal, yeah, the frontal lobe, frontal cortex mm. doesn't stop evolving completely. Uh, uh, doesn't stop developing completely. Sorry. Until you're around about 25. Yeah. I've heard, is that right? I've heard some of those studies. Yeah. What does the frontal cortex do? What's it responsible for? Uh, you know? judgment. I think some of it. I, I think the studies I've heard cited is that yeah, somewhere in your early twenties is when you sort of mature in terms of, I guess, brain function in that mm. respect. But but that I think what the studies are actually trying to say is that young people and even up into young adulthood, um, there's still development happening in terms of how you make decisions, in particular. Um, so be careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. What can you do for you? Like 24, 25, join the army, join, uh, join, the, join the forces, right? Vote. 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 <laughs> join the forces, vote. Get married. Smoke, get married. Have a kid. Uh, have a kid. Yeah. Everything. Everything. And, but you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not an adult until you're 25. <laughs> oh, makes me wonder where all went wrong. I'm only joking. No, interesting. No, I think I think that's a good example on on the cognitive behavioral piece is that, and this isn't just CBT, but I think in counseling in general, is it it's it's critical to really learn how to be more flexible mentally, in terms of your perceptions about life. And I and I think your example is a good one. 
is that ideally, because people, I, I see people from, you know, teenagers to elderly people, and, and they're all struggling with something, you know, that happened in their past or, or why they can't be happy or why they can't be like you say, you know, the way I used to be or something like that. And I think that what I try to do with folks is, is to try, try to help them incorporate, you know, their experiences and move forward. And some things are more difficult to incorporate than others, but like you said, it shaped you, it, it, it impacted you. And I talk a lot with people about impact. It's good to understand impact. You know, we can't change the past, but we can understand how it's impacted us. And then what do we do with that? You know, how do we then cope with that? How do we somehow make a, a positive out of a negative or something like, you know, which we, you know, you can't always, you can't change a, a negative into a positive, but you can be positive about yourself and your and your growth and development and be stronger and incorporate things into your character that where you can choose a positive direction. Mm. I yeah, I maybe another well, another factor of that maybe is is uh um that you know, you got that perception of situational situations. Um and then having that attitude and how to deal with it, but but also uh, we again we were talking off air just before this about the stigma attached to therapy counselling, mm. um, psychotherapy counselling within within the military, and I'm guessing other you know I, I, well there's a stigma attached to a lot of places you know yeah um, we're quite significant in the military I, I I'd argue I don't I can't back that up but I'm guessing that is the case um, and it's it's maybe well it is it's recognizing that you can't you can't always fix something yourself um mm. uh and have been accepting of that 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 help and not perceiving it as a weakness um one of my guests michael Coates, came on and he he we were talking about mental health and he was using the term mental fitness um and yeah. And by changing, you know, if you, by, by changing the way you think about the mental health side of things. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm deliberately mentioning this because I know a lot of military, military listeners and I, 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 I didn't avoid sort of addressing the issue. I just, I sort of didn't understand it. Um, or the, addressing that I had, I, I was not operating at an optimal thing. <laughs> <laughs> capability, like, right. Um, went on for a long time and it's it sort of made the situation worse. Um, but I was, well, it's just a lack of knowledge, really. I think when you look at it, like, like with the men, if you look at the mental fitness, you know, you 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 improve your fitness, your yeah. physical fitness. You go out and do runs and press ups and gym and all that stuff mm. because you recognize people recognize. Well, I guess mm. physically stronger. It makes me healthier most of the time. It makes me healthier. Depending on what you're doing, and that means that um, it's a benefit for me mm-hmm. mentally as well as physically. Um, but you can do that with the mind. You should train it. Mm-hmm. How you mentioned earlier, oh, what were you talking about? Um, you were saying about, I can't remember what it was, um, being able to be, be mentally more flexible. Yeah. Yeah. How, how can you, how can you train 
what can kind of things can you do to to help your mental flexibility sort of in everyday life you know i mean how mm. can i help get myself more mentally flexible what kind of mm. exercises are there yeah if there are any well i think to go back to your comment about stigma i think it's useful to encourage people to to get counseling if they haven't gotten it already and and the other thing that's for well, anyone to get counseling <clears throat> well not anyone i think uh, people who are finding it difficult uh, with their life and and development and growth and circumstances and so on. I think it, if it becomes unmanageable or or they have symptoms, for instance, um, like we've mentioned, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, poor sleep, irritability, those kinds of things might be something to to, to consider. But I think more about I, I think counseling is something where if you really struggle to find a way forward and you, you can't seem to get through your circumstances, you can't get through these thoughts that you have and, and so on, and, and, you, and you find it very difficult to get an answer, then counseling can be a good way forward. And I think to address the stigma question, I think I've already explained that you know counseling can be just a few sessions. It doesn't have to be a big in-depth process. And the other thing is that our industry has changed as well. And so, for instance, I do counseling and coaching, and you'll see that a lot of counselors do coaching as well. So coaching is even more focused on, like you say, mental fitness in terms of setting goals and, you know, just having somebody who can provide an objective point of view and maybe an outside point of view to help you move forward and strategize. So my counseling process sometimes switches between counseling and coaching in, in, in some respects. Now, I also do leadership coaching because I work with you know managers and executives and so on. But counseling should be very accessible for people. It shouldn't be something that, that's uncomfortable. But to your, to your question, how do you become more mentally flexible? I think that it could be useful to talk to somebody who's a professional who's outside of your situation just to shed shed some light on it and just to, to give you some feedback. Mm. And that's, I think, one of the best aspects of counseling. And that can happen quite early on. Uh, and I, I have people who come for maybe one session and they just say, you know, is there something wrong with me? Or or they, or they, they just want an opinion on how they're handling a situation or something. And they get a bit of feedback and they're like, right, thanks, that, that was helpful. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it can take lots of different forms. Again, to your question about flexibility, this is a particular, uh, something that I'm particularly interested in developing more and more in my practice because I do an anger management program. And I see a lot of guys who, particularly men, who struggle with anger. And, uh, and that, when you're losing the temper, or 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 worse, yeah, losing their temper. Well, that, being that violent, can insinuate a different yeah, bunch yeah, of things. It, yeah, it can be that. Um, and so, and it's it's you know it's usually guys who are in a relationship, and and their partners have told them they've got to get some help, or it's that's it, you know, with the relationship, or or in some cases uh, even employers will 
will, t- will tell. The relationship you. could be the problem. Right? I'll be all right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> don't get help. They leave you sorted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm well, happy all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's well. There's a lot of reasons why yeah. people come, but um, but I'm always looking for what's your motivation. You know, do you really want? Do you what's really, your motivation for coming? Yeah. Right. Okay. Do you really want to help? You know, yeah. do you really need help with your anger? Do you really want to change your behavior? I have to ask that question. I don't. I don't usually pose it like that. But no, I'm yeah, always yeah. thinking that. You know what? What do you? Who's keeping you here? Is it? Is it somebody else or is it yourself? And and of course, my job is to try to get them to buy into the process, and I'm I'm usually okay with that. I usually can get people to see the benefit of mm-hmm. of getting some control over their anger. I also have uh, guys who come with anger problems who are thinking about having children, so their first child, and they're worried. Uh, so we talk about that. We, you know, we often look at their own dad and, and their experience of growing up and that kind of thing, and sort of things that pass through the generations. And, and, uh, but but the, that process of anger management it really comes down to learning how to capture emotion, rework perceptions, change behaviors, again, have more flexibility and agility really mentally to, because the guys who have problems with anger, it can escalate just like at rocket speed. By, sorry, go on. No, yeah. By, by flexibility, I... You by flexibility, having more mental flexibility. Are we? Do you mean that? So, before you, so that you got, you got a, a wider spectrum of, of of situations, events, emotions that you can deal with mm. before you fall outside your normal scope of behaviour and things become erratic. Or is that what you're talking about? So, so. So, if I um, so one one day, this is, this is like, <laughs> if I go to the bus stop and I miss my bus and I and I, I would not I would do this and I flip out and I do that every time when I go to the bus stop and I flip out and go to the stop and I go mental I missed the fucking bus, blah, 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 blah. Mm. but through doing whatever I increase my mental flexibility and I'm able to go to the bus stop and I miss the bus. I don't. I don't freak, freak out because my sort of spectrum for dealing with things in a rational way is yeah. is increased. Is that what you talk about? Mental yeah, that's that's a good example. I mean, there's lots of different ways to think about it, but the bus stop example would be a good one in that you're and, the, and actually that that fits kind of with anger management. So if you have, uh, let's flip it and call it mental rigidity is the opposite of mental flexibility. So if you have mental rigidity, you've got this idea that. I've got one bus that I always take, mm-hmm. okay? And there is no other bus that I would ever step foot on because I'll get there too early, I'll get there too late. I'm only ever going to take this one bus, okay? Well, you miss the bus. Where does that leave you? In a state, doesn't it? Mm. Because you've only got one bus that you can take. There's no other possibilities. Now, that's just an example, but that that's the kind of mental process that some people have. They, it has to be this way or nothing else. That's called all or nothing think, Is that thinking. OCD or not? Pardon? Is that OCD? Is that part of OCD? No, no that's, that's just, no. well, yeah, OCD is a whole other thing. 
But <laughs> that's actually called all or nothing thinking, which is part of cognitive behavioral therapy is looking at these sort of types of thinking styles mm-hmm. and all or nothing thinking is just what it, what it sounds like. You know, it's all or nothing. It's black and white. So the way to, I, I I'm, I'm very conscious of the way I, my thought processes with that, that kind of stuff. And I'm going to explain the way I think about sort of um, how I, 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 how I would plan to deal with such situations. And, and, and yeah, and how I got to be that person. I'm not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's, uh, it's uh, um, what, ha- well, what, what happens if, so what happens if I miss the bus? Well, I've missed the bus. Yeah. And I, I, well, you I've, tell, tell me. What, what, I've done this with, yeah. I, I do, I, 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 I've explained stuff to my kids in the past and, you know, it's like, look, you know, and they, stre- and they stress out. Hmm. I said, well, look, what happens if you miss the bus? Well, we, we're going to, we're going to be late. Well, what happens if you're late? Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll miss the start of the film. Yeah. But if you, what happens if you miss the start of the film? If two and it's all adverts anyway, so you're going to slightly late. Well, yeah. yeah, but it'll be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Well, while they're embarrassing, they're going to you know kick off. You miss, you get, and they missed two minutes of the film. And you got the whole rest of yeah. it. Gosh, anyway, so you go out. So really, what's the drama? You only missed two minutes of the film. What happens? You get an earlier bus. Well, you just get an earlier. It's not a problem. You have, you know, it's, it's looking at the look yeah. for me. It's you look at all the eventualities, Absolutely. look at what the end state is, and go, well, is that really that bad? That's is exactly that bad? what they do in CBT. In fact, they have worksheets that are tailored so that you can go through that process just like you described it and write down all the different steps they. There's one worksheet they call decatastrophizing exercises, mm. you know, which is what you were just doing. You know, you start with the sort of the worst, I missed the bus, and then you go down through the steps and say, okay, what? Well, so what does that mean if you missed the bus? Well, I'm not going to do this. Okay, so if you didn't do that, what does that mean? Just like you did that, that's exactly what they do in CBT. But you've already obviously figured it out. And well, this is see. This is I can I can preach. <laughs> it's not necessarily what I practice. It was. I'm going to go back to that. It was what I've what I've especially over the last couple of years. I can't remember if we, talk, if we spoke about this in one of the sessions or not. I would be guaranteed we did because I'm waffle. Um, what I found, and I I'm I'm really trying now to focus on not doing it because it's completely opposite of what I. I'm going back to <laughs> what I'm capable of, what I was, right? It's, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway because other people listening might resonate with it. I don't know. Right? Mm. Is that I can, like, life stresses mm-hmm. um, that aren't on me. So, with my kids, you know, with my partner, with my friends, with family, you know, whatever. Life stress, by stresses, I mean, could be flipping anything. You know, just, mm-hmm. just life, just doing mm-hmm. life, right? Do with fine. I can dish out a good advice all, all the time, all day long. You know, I can, you know, if, if there's a medical emergency, one of the you know one of the kids, for example, which God forbid, but you know you always have sometimes you have to fall over and you bang around, you go, oh, get the heart stop. I'm fine yeah. with it, or anything else, fine with it. But when it comes to myself, like the stresses of life, just flipping neck, little things like a late, late, like a paying a bill late, and mm. you get a you know a letter, yeah, yeah, and then um, other just just different things like that. I find I I have just I avoid it, like, and this is, a, I, I just avoid it. Like, I can't, I, I don't and can't, I can't and don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then so the, the situation escalate and escalate and escalate, um, depending on what the situation is. And then all of a sudden it just comes to head and I'm dealing with it. What was, what was a, what was a, you know, a, a, a little snowflake on the top of a hill, which mm-hmm. is now a, a, 
which is now a snowball yeah. going at a, the speed of a thousand gazelles. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to stop all of a sudden because I've got no other choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, why have they gone to that? Yeah, so that it's that's not that's been novel for me, but consciously trying to deal with that stuff at the outset mm-hmm. of anything, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, and looking and focusing more on emotions, focusing more like you were saying, like everyone has their down days, right? Or not down days. I mean, ever, you know, sometimes you have shit. Sometimes are good. Mm. Most people, most days are average. You know, look, yeah. you're just sort of content. Mm-hmm. Um, but on those days, it's not. Why? Yeah. You know, what is affecting me? Mm-hmm. Um, because whether you have that once every month mm-hmm. or once a week or every fucking day, mm-hmm. there's still a reason it's happening. I and mean, something, something can be addressed with it. Yeah. And like you say, it doesn't always have to be a situation in life. It could be like medical. It could be just it could diet. Mm-hmm. Diet's a big one with mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going with that. I don't know but the, no, but that's... I was back on the couch there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a good example of also if you, if you, let's say, have mood swings or sort of depression related symptoms. I think your, your description there is really good is that you're not going to maybe, if you don't tend to feel the same way every day, sometimes you feel low, sometimes you feel a little bit happy, whatever. Uh, it's important to try to understand, try to track it back and see, you know, well, what might have happened. So if you've been out late the night before, you know, you're not going to feel so great the next day. Yeah. So before you think, well, I'm depressed, you you think, well, no, actually, I lost half a night's sleep, and and that's just an example of how you you need to start to be more interactive in your own thought pro- processes to try to understand how things are playing out for you, and uh, and if you can do that, then you can try to provide a remedy or or say, okay, well, there's nothing wrong with me, I just need to, you know, sort of move on and you know, have a cup of tea or go for a run or, or something like that. And that can be often quite useful. Is he, can you, is it possible to be just content all the time? Should, or should there be as part of just human psychology and just, and, and yeah, and, and being, a, a being a being, should there be fluctuations in your, 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 your mood and your mental state? Or should you always be, if you, can you get to a certain level of understanding, like, um, uh, yeah, and sort of mental understanding the way the brain works and the way, and you get to a certain state where you're content all the time, well, get, without that's, that's um with the exception of extreme instances, you know, like you know, getting hit by a car. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> well, I, I think most people want to be content. They want but can you, but yeah, you want to. They yeah, want, they want to be. People want to have sort of well-being or is that a sense we, of is well-being. that where we should be? Is that where is that is that mental state that c- contentness? All right, of, is maybe I'm not asking you. You may not know. It's a question. It's just an old query. Was there a point? I wonder. I wonder if there was a point in our in our existence as in man, human, right? Hmm. Um, human beings where that was we were just content like caveman maybe caveman you just go around your daily business and maybe that's because our emotions I'm not sure how involved. content cavemen were they were probably quite desperate to find the next their next meal which is normal <laughs> this normal pattern of life though wasn't they? they didn't know any different i was we were talking i've talked with this before it's like <laughs> you think about um you think about like a pygmy tribe 
Mm-hmm. You know, in the middle of where the pygmies come from? Congo, Africa. Uh, uh, gosh, Africa. Oh, Philippines, Africa, yeah. Africa right? Yeah. Well, they don't know any different. So they, they don't they don't miss iPhones and they don't think oh god this is crap where's where's the McDonald's they don't know any different they don't know so no. they're they're perfectly yeah. happy <laughs> you're absolutely right I think you've tapped into something which I think does make life a bit topsy turvy sometimes is the is the com- uh, complexity less of life. stimuli yeah and and the and the experiences that we have the people that we're with our circumstances all those kinds of things I mean if you're you know, if you're not making enough money to pay your bills every month, you're going to be pretty stressed on a regular basis. You're not going to, you're going to have a, a a biased view of the future and on those kinds of things. So, uh, I, I think that's why it's important to, you know, talk, talk about how understanding what's happening around you, understanding how your thoughts are being affected. It all plays into to your moods and and your perceptions of your life and and that's why you know that's what my profession is is to try to help people to understand things the other The other part is that there's a cumulative effect, so you know when you talk about stress, for instance, um, if you have a a particularly bad set of circumstances and things continue to mount on top of them, then that can really that can really uh, cause undue pressure on your ability to cope your ability to be flexible in your in your uh, approach to things and perceptions so it's useful to 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 see all the factors that that contribute to having a bad day as it were or or a series of bad days mm. the uh the americans are much and the canadians are much more much more accepting acknowledging am i right or am i wrong of uh of the benefits of counseling right historically they've been it's been more um accepted by the the mainstream culture in america um i would say up until about uh, up until about time i arrived here when was <laughs> that when did, you, when did you come 2003 okay um the Things started to shift in the early 2000s. Um, over here, over there. Yeah, and, and a lot of it was down to employee assistance programs, which which, which companies started to purchase for Why their employees. Why did they start doing it at that time? Um, there was, a, uh, there was a, uh, some kind of government policy on around, I think it was around health and safety. And yeah, health and safety worked yeah, up the, the late yeah, 90s. Well-being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it was late 90s. 97, I think. And, uh, right, and so they... they in order to show that they had were adhering to these these policies, they 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 went mad for EAPs, and 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 that immediately plunged uh, uh, sort of counselors and and psychotherapists into the into the consciousness of. I've never heard the term workers employee assistance yeah. program. I know until you mentioned it there, I never mm-hmm. heard. It. I might have read well. It sometimes they have different names. So if you were, you know, for instance, like a helpline would be would probably be a more common name, or a stress line. Or something like but that. When you mean like phone it up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. Okay. Right, so let's yeah. say you work. I'm aware for, of that. Let's yeah, say you yeah. work for uh, JLR or something like that, and and they you get your company handbook and a bit of information about benefits and so on, and and it'll say you know here's your here's your stress you know call the stress line and you can get twenty four seven support from a, a trained counselor. And and you can have short term counseling. Yeah, you know, I've seen that. That's before. what an employee assistance program is. Yeah, I'm now recognizing. Like you know, I've seen that in the past. I'm now, rec- you know, it's what it's been one of those booklets that people just pass over and don't bother reading or mm. whatever. And see that, I think, you know, whatever. 
But actually, the benefit in having that in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an as a as an employer or as a senior manager, mm-hmm. I think like knowing what I know now, I would be pushing that. I'd yeah, well, a lot of managers it, really push it. Push it. They do. Yeah, they because, see it as um, an asset. Because a happy workplace is a more productive workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's less lawsuits, <laughs> <laughs> less accidents. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so you came over here in 2003. Yeah. Did, did you come over with the intention of um, setting up shop, you know, with counselling? Um, not in private practice, not okay. at that point, no. I came, um, I actually I came because uh, my wife was from here and okay. and uh, we had just had children and baby, we had twins. Yeah. So we we came over here to essentially immigrate here, and I didn't have a job when I came over here, so I had to get one right quick. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, it's lucky you're mentally flexible in yeah. that situation. Um, when was your? Do you remember when your first veteran was you dealt with? Um, well, that would have been back in Seattle when in the I was states, with American the hom- with the homeless. Yeah, some of those guys on the streets were actually veterans. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did it, did did I have um, on a? You may not know on on a percentage scale. I I, I was there. There's a, a very, I think it's a very high percentage of um, more a higher percentage of American military that that suffer with the the you know, traumatic, mm. PTSD, yeah. compared to the UK. I may have that wrong, and I'm, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm right in that, and I'm putting it down to that they have, they do longer tours, don't they? The Americans do, when they, the Americans go on operations, they, I think they do 12 months. Yeah. They do 12 months, whereas we do six. Okay. We do, like, maximum six. I, think I, did I, know, six. I know they used to do six in Vietnam at, at one point. Oh, did they? Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I'm not an authority on length of tours, but... Um, that's a possible. Yeah, they do it. They do a year. Factor, they do a year, yeah. which is crazy. As in a year in like, the same role. Mm-hmm. A year in the same role doing the same thing day in day out. And if you're in certain like frontline roles, that is going to put this yeah. up in your head. I mean, six months can be bad enough in certain situations. But um, Johnny Mercer uh, is an MP. Um, he's ex-military, mm-hmm. and he was he was suggesting that um, it would be an option to. Well, he suggested that like a longer, longer tours be better for the UK, operationally better, you know, from tactical and sort of efficiency point of view. But, but rotating, rotating, um, f- rotating units. So you would you would go into a frontline role for several weeks, for example, and then come back out of it and mm. and and be in like a rear, you know, mm. remf role. Um, and I think he's saying he used to do that in the Second World War, or the First World War, something, one of them. Um, which I hadn't thought of it like that. The, the, to me, the long, the longer tours would be. They, I just it just screams. Mm. Oh God, that's going to just the, the mentally. The, the, you just have more dramas, more dramas. Mm. I think it'd still be the case if you extend them and rotate people off the front line and back. Who's just still away, sort of thing. I don't know. It's it's a difficult one. Well, um, what was your experience? I mean, what's your? I was talking about there. That, you know, that sort of the high percentage of US. Mm-hmm. Ex-military or military? What? What you? Am I? Am I right? Or am I wrong? Or do you know? Or what do you reckon? I don't know the statistics. Um, the 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 veterans that, that impacted me the most in terms of it were guys I had that I had friendships with actually not yeah. not so much clients and 
um, one was in graduate school and one was in a, a job that I had. And um, one gentleman was a, a medic uh, in Vietnam, you know, hanging off the end of a helicopter and, you know, grabbing guys. And when were you treating this guy? I wasn't treating him. I was, Sorry. He uh, was a colleague of mine. Oh, I apologize. Yeah, I no, do apologize. Okay. Um, and the other one was a Marine in Vietnam. Um, and they were both colleagues? One, Yeah, both colleagues. W what yeah. was your job at the time? Um, well, the, the first guy, the medic, he was in a counseling center mm -hmm. that I was, uh, yeah, we, we were sort of working in student services at a university there. Um, and the other guy I was in graduate school with in, in, um, Kentucky when I was living there. So, and they both, they just had... <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I mean, they, they just, they, they were engaging guys and they were working hard to, you know, in new careers and all that kind of thing. But once in a while, something would just happen, you know, and their, what you mean? the way that they coped with, with, with certain things was... Can you give an example? Um, the first guy was actually going on and doing a doctorate and it and it was taking him quite a long time to finish it. And there's a lot of pressure anyway doing a PhD. And uh, I hadn't seen him in a while. And I just uh, I said, I went up to him and we were at some kind of event. And I, I said, how's the PhD going? And he just, he just absolutely spun around and just started going on a tirade at me, you know? And he wasn't violent or anything. He was just in my face going, everybody's always wanting to know about my, you know. And I, and it was a, it was enough of a reaction that I just had to lift my hands up and say, hey, you know, sorry I asked, really. Sorry. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, and so that was, that was number one. The, the, um, the, the second one was more, and this is understandable, I think, uh, very understandable. But I was I was watching television with um, this other chap, uh, who, by the way, his name was Hugh. <laughs> Handsome devil, <is> <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you remember when the uh, the U.S. Marines got bombed in Beirut, mm. and it was on television when it happened, right? And he was there and he, we were in a dormitory kind of situation. He went up and down effing and blinding and screaming and yelling and throwing things everywhere. That's a little more understandable situation. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, having spent a lot of time with these guys, I could see that there was always something that was kind of right there, um, ready that they could access, uh, or, or they weren't, um, sometimes aware of would 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 sort of overcome them and uh but you know i heard, I heard their stories in combat and I, I heard about the jungles and that kind of thing that they were in and and i i totally had sympathy for them mm. um but the first guy um interestingly um he used to sit around with students at the university and you know he he was a kind of a head counselor and they were all sort of middle-class students, you know, that just came from, you know, very comfortable existence and that kind of thing. And, and they were struggling with stress and anxiety. And, they, and he used to just 
put him at ease because he would tell a story about, you know, being on, uh, hanging off of a helicopter or something. And he would say, like, you know, the stuff that you're dealing with in comparison to the kinds of things that I went through and other people went through, you just can't compare it. You just can't compare it. Mm. But I think the way he told the story and the way he, he offered that advice to students, I think was quite relevant and quite helpful. Because yeah. he would put things in perspective for them that they, when they say, I'm, I'm stressed and I, and, and of course, students are suicidal a lot of the times and they do, oh, okay. they do see it as a life and death matter. But I think he's trying to say, look, if you really want to know about life and, de life and death, let me tell you a couple stories. And the stories were told, obviously, in a way to, to help support what these students were going mm -hmm. through. And it was effective. It was useful. But, of course, the, the story I told you about how he flipped out on me um, a couple, few years later showed that he, he had been impacted. And uh, whether he was fully aware of how he had been impacted, I don't know. Um, but uh, you, you mean, when you say impact, are you talking about the, what impacted by the PhD? Or impacted, or imp impacted by his experience in Vietnam. Was that, ex that ex was I'm not, that I'm not saying, uh, yeah, no, you're right. I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that I'm, okay. I'm trying, okay. I'm not yeah. trying to say, oh, yeah, got you. I, yeah, I, yeah. But, I, but because of what I knew about him, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's possible that um, the stress of the PhD was, mm. uh, you know, he, he was uh, struggling with, with his ability to cope with that. And, and um, he, he may have been impacted uh, by, um, mm, know, his history. Yeah. I don't know. No, oh, yeah. I, 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 when you were when you were saying about that, I, I never exploded like that. But um, I'm not likening myself to that guy at, mm. at all. Um, uh, but when when so I try and well, I think you, you know you, you one of the things you said to me at one point or another, and, and, and your friends say it when you when people know you sort of having a rough time, it's like well, just stay in touch, stay in touch, stay in touch. And the last thing I want to do when I'm when I'm feeling less than great, mm. which has been a lot of the time, um, the last thing I want to do is speak to people. Mm. And the worst, the like you'll have friends with good intention, mm. and, and it's and and it's, uh, but they'll lead in with the wrong start to a conversation <laughs> because they because their first their first query in the mind is how you, how are you doing how are you doing yeah yeah so yeah. the first question out of the mouth is. And this is, you know, either on the phone or a text or mm. whatever. How are you doing? And that's the last thing <laughs> I want to hear. I don't because, yeah. again, it's that, I'm just talking for myself, and I, people may resonate if they had all got any issues or not. Is that uh, you, you don't want to? I don't want to address that question. I didn't want to because what, to answer it, to give the answer that they want to hear and make them feel good, I, I would have to lie. Yeah, I'm oh, fine. Mm. Well, I don't want to do that, mm. so don't answer it. Uh, but in not answering it, I don't reply, and mm. I don't, I don't speak, mm. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't speak to them. You know? yeah. I've got a couple of friends who lead him with that every time, and I've mm. hardly spoken to him in a while because, mm. like, God, my, you know, it's an interesting one. And I was just thinking, really thinking about that no, guy. I thought, well, if you got that stress, a giant PTSD, PhD, never is on about it, yeah, and you sort of, and you, and you, and just because of your past experience, and you, you deal with that when it explodes. Like, I can just imagine how stressed he was getting. I say, fucking hell. But uh, it's going I, shit. <laughs> no, no, I take your point, and I shouldn't have made assumptions about about him uh, or anything related to his his tours. But uh, the part I left out was it was taking him a, a, an inordinate 
a long, long amount of time to finish mm. it. Okay. So first of all, he, he wasn't finishing it in the timely fashion. And then when I spoke to him about it, he reacted yeah, in an yeah, yeah. extremely disproportionate way <laughs> in a public gathering. <laughs> yeah. And so it just got me thinking, you know, what's going on with him and what's, what's happening with him. And, and so maybe, yeah, I made an, all, maybe an obvious conclusion, which I shouldn't have. No, no, I, I just, yeah. um, only because I knew his history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about British veterans? Have you dealt with many apart from myself? Lots. Um, not lots. Some. Yeah. Yeah. Um, indifferent. What kind services. of demographic were they? Is it, so what? Uh, mostly, yeah, I, w- I would say mostly recently retired or, you know, sort of middle aged kind of. Recently left. Yeah. Within a few years, yeah. basically. Yeah. You dealt with anyone serving? Uh, no. Not, uh. not recently. No. Not. I may have done on when I worked at the EAP because yeah. I, I I did a lot of telephone counseling at that time, but yeah. not not recent clients because I've only really been in practice for a, a couple of years. So, oh really? You're very I, good at it. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, not not altogether. I, I did private practice in Seattle, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. what I've done in the last few years since I moved over here has mm-hmm. been more uh, management and and administration within clinical context, but I wasn't doing the counseling myself mm-hmm. per se. Go back to the CBT. So mm. CBT aside, what other, what other methods could, can, are there? Do you, can you use? Yeah. Um, well, let's see the, the ones that are probably that you might see if you went, let's say to look for a therapist and on the web, on web, uh, websites like, BACP or the counseling directory or something, they would say things like um, CBT. They would say psychodynamic. Okay. Psychodynamic would be a little bit more like psychotherapy where you're looking at um, past issues. You're looking at personality. You're looking at um, sort of internal, uh, more depth as you as a person to understand how you tick and and the influences of your family on you that's why they they call it psychodynamic it's sort of a so, dynamic process of looking at sort of how you are the way you are and looking at you're still looking at symptoms like if somebody has anxiety or depression but you're trying to understand the source of those things relative to um early childhood experiences and those kinds of things mm-hmm. which could be useful what was that called? Psychodynamic. Psychodynamic. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's often asking the question, why, why do we do what we do? So trying to find sort of some, some insight in, in, uh, our behaviors. There's uh, family systems therapy, which I do a little bit of, which is looking at, uh, the, the, the family, what they call family of origin. So your sort of original family, basically your nuclear family. What, um, what do you mean? Well, you look at the dynamics of your family. Yeah. So, you know, who was in it? What was it like? Uh, the impacts of, of, of the family experience on you as an individual. Mm-hmm. What part you played in the family. So, like, some people have, you know, they're sort of the middle child or something. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they, they, they kind of tailor their responses and behaviors around keeping peace in the family. or Or, you know, you might have had a particularly 
strong relationship with one of your parents um, and that's affected you. And so you um, uh, have what they call, well, family systems therapy uh, uses terms like differentiation and fusion, um, which is essentially how are you affected now as an adult by your family system? And are you um, free in the sense of are you an independent individual or are you still connected to the family dynamic and affected by it? So how would, uh, how would, how would you or um, a psychotherapist or counselor choose? How would you decide that family assistance therapy is needed? Would you, would it be, explain that to me how you get to that, that point? Yeah, that's a, that's a valid question. And it, and it, it, they're, they're probably, um, we're not be, pre, uh, not be preceded by some, course of therapy or, or assessment before and then already like cbt or something i don't know go on i i'm trying to answer the question for me i asked it already sorry go on well i th- i think the answer to the question is sort of how does a counselor decide what methods to use uh, if you come to see them or something like that but for, for but for myself with you it's pre-decided predetermined right because but because that's the program is in with head start it was CBT. There's no other option, was there? Or was it down uh, to you what you choose? No, it was count. It's counseling. I yeah. mean, Head Start offers counseling, yeah. so um, it's not necessarily strictly CBT. Okay. Um, other other charities might do other things, but I, th- I think for the most part, the, the the charities are there to be try to be helpful, and not be overly structured in 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 their approach. Mm-hmm. So again, counseling and psychotherapy is kind of used together. CBT, I think most, I can't speak for all the charities, but I would imagine that that, um, they're not going to be that specific where all we do is CBT, for instance. However, if you go, if you go through your GP, they might prescribe a treatment of CBT and that would be very specifically CBT and it would probably be provided by a psychologist or something like that. So would you get, give me an example of where you decide on family assistance therapy? Is that one of the, is that gone? Go Sorry. Um, it would probably be more the training of the therapist. There's not a, not a lot of people are trained in family systems therapy. I just happen to be. Okay. And so I use it when it's relevant to my clients. Um, so it's having a sp- but family therapy, family systems therapy, is an approved method that's used, um, and often that. That can be uh, as the result of a, 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 the NHS um, when there's, let's say, uh, children who are having trouble um, in the family and uh, family systems might be an approach that they use for children. Um, family therapy and family systems therapy are not exactly the same, but they're kind of the same. So you might see in, let's say, uh, the the NHS will prescribe family therapy for, uh, and and it might include a whole family, or it might include you know the parents and a child, or a parent and a child. Essentially, it allows for more people to be in the room and more. You're you're looking not just at focusing just in on one person and the client, pers- you know, and their symptoms, but you're looking at the structure. Uh, and the context of how they live and what their life is like and how they relate to each other. 
So that's the idea behind family systems therapy is that it's important to understand relating and, and relationships within the family mm -hmm. and how that is, is impacting behavior in real time. But also you can use it to look back and say, well, how did I, why, you know, why, why do I want people to like me so much? Or, or, you know, why am I so sensitive to criticism or something like that? And there may be reasons for that within the context of the family and how you grew up. So that, that's sort of a crude, crude explanation. Sorry. I mean, no, it's fine. It is. It's good. I, I, I never thought about the middle child would be more sort of more, in some cases, you know, more, more care and trying to keep the, trying to keep the peace and all the rest of it. Oh yeah, it's, no, it's interesting. Well, interesting. The, the, the sort of the ideal uh, outcome in family systems therapy is, is, is where we use the term uh, differentiation. And it's essentially you, and me um, are independent individuals, but still connected to to your family. So in 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 many families, there's a lot of dysfunction in the family and the way that they relate and and the things that happen in the family. And that dysfunction actually breeds what they call fusion. So you're so reliant on each other even though it's a dysfunctional environment, you can't get away from it. In fact, even when you physically get away from it, you can't get away from it. You're still emotionally bound to, to that family system. And, and so differentiation is a way to mature and, and develop as an individual and to be able to live your life without being completely stuck into to the early childhood sensations and feelings about your family. Extreme example would be domestic but abuse. But stay connected. Person. Yeah. Well, domestic abuse would be a dysfunctional yeah. family. Uh, but where the where the where the where the experience the person being abused, so the the the, the wife or the mm. girlfriend in many cases doesn't just the the questions are why why did you just leave? And you saying that because of that? I think that, that's that, probably a good yeah, example. Diffusion, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can you you, be, you become overly dependent. Um, and you know, it goes both ways. Sometimes in dysfunctional families, uh, parents over what they call overfunction for their children. So they're mm -hmm. doing too much for them. Then they become more dependent and there's this cycle that, that continues through life. And, and so it's kind of unpicking some of that, looking at the systems that have developed over time, mm -hmm. but it's extremely difficult for all of us to, to kind of, how do I be? kind of my own person, mm. but stay connected to my family, particularly a dysfunctional family where the emotions are quite strong and it's, mm. it's, it's very challenging. I'm looking at the time. We've really flown through this. Mm. Question for you. We're going to start wrapping that up. Yeah. But question for you. How many of your, um, or what percentage, roughly, if you've got an idea, of your clients are people who have come to you voluntarily, voluntarily and not through an organization or a charity? They come to you voluntarily. Um, what kind of percentage of those are your clients are yours? Ninety-nine percent. Really? Mm. <laughs> I thought it would be really. Yeah. You come to you volunteer. I thought it would be less. It would not be the majority. Well, I market myself, and I have a, a website, and I'm I'm just out in the. In the no, no, public, I didn't. But, but yeah. I, 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 that's you know. Now that might change, you know, as I as I build my practice. I, I um, thought it'd be less because. Less so the the majority of people would be sort of referred to by organisations, the charities, or or you know, the NHS or whatever. Um, but I thought it'd be less because in, from from my experience, my from what I've experienced, not with, with you, but just in 
my mm. perception of it is that like we were talking earlier people are just less less willing to go and think oh, actually I'm going to go try counselling that's what I thought but then if you're saying majority of your clients are voluntarily coming to you that's really I'm, I'm happy it makes me happy you know it's like good people are sort of well, recognising it well you know I, I try I try to keep it you know I try to be as accessible as possible and there are a lot of people do just google searches counsellors and you know whatever counsellor in Leamington I'll pop up on the on mm. page one they'll look at my website I've got a lot of pages they can read about different things and, and I, I explain actually I explain some of the different I explain uh, CBT I explain family systems mm. I explain another one we call solution focused therapy um, so they can read but I, I guess to answer your question yeah it depends on who you talk to if you if you know my practice is focused kind of on the general public i don't i don't have a lot of referral systems per se um but i could at some point you know maybe you know gps will sort of get to know me better and they'll refer me to and so on mm. but a lot of the people that come to me have already had some counseling in their life or they've had cbt and they're they particularly resonate with with what I say on my website about moving forward, mm. about you know, developing, you know, uh, a, a way to to succeed in life and so on. So, I but I but I get uh, I, I get people who have been to their doctor and and they've been told you need more in depth counseling or psychotherapy, and so they go to the marketplace and and look look for them because because mm. they can't get it funded through the NHS. Um, I see students, you know, university students. I see, um, like I said, I've got anger management program that I run. So I see, I see guys, uh, with anger management programs. I, I see, uh, executives. I see uh, cu couples, you know, it, it just, it, it's, it's really a wide variety, mm. both men and women. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, but yeah, at, 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 at the, particular moment most most are people who just find me on the on my website and and reach out mm -hmm. and yeah surprised me well i definitely got benefit from my time here that 100 got benefit from this yeah. today um or this evening i should say um how do people how can what's your website it's uh dirk hansen counseling h-a-n-s-e-n yes h-a-n-s-e-n dot co dot uk it's quite a, it's a unique name relatively unique you don't get many dirks in the uk dirk funny enough uh people people think i'm german or a danish really yeah i wasn't sure when i saw the name i thought oh maybe just a bit um a bit eccentric <laughs> and then and then and then uh i think we end up on the phone and then the american accent came out and i'm like oh god oh <laughs> Yeah, I, I, had, I had a great grandfather. I mean, a nice work. It's, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. it's actually Norwegian. So my my first name's not not Norwegian. Dirk's Norwegian. Uh, no, Hansen. Hansen. No. Where's Dirk? Is Dirk American? Got to be American. I think it was just a name that my great grandmother thought was sounded nice. It was probably Dirk Bogard. She wanted me to be named after or somebody like that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, like yeah. Again, appreciate it. Thank you for what you did for me in the past. And uh, cheers for your time today. Thanks, Hugh. This cool. is great. I'm glad I, would, I could be part of it. And uh, looks like it's going well. It is quite cheers, though. Good. Thank you, All right. Thank you.
Don't forget our sponsors today were, well, one of our sponsors was Westway Nissan. They got the golden ticket event going on this weekend, Friday to Sunday. Get on to westwaynissan.co.uk, claim your golden ticket, get along to a branch. You can get up to four and a half grand towards your finance. Uh, they also do, remember, for veterans and service personnel, they do up to 20% off purchases, which is flipping huge. Don't turn it down. It's nice new Nissan. Go and get it. Westwaynissan.co.uk. They're also on Instagram, Nissan. Funny enough. Uh, also sponsoring us today were Camrider Warwick. Camrider Warwick are on Facebook. They're on they're not on Twitter, I don't think. They are on Instagram. I like the Instagram page because they've got a load of... Uh, they show all the motorcycle training and all the, all the instructors now. It's just, it's just nice. They're a very transparent company and uh, I've got personal experience training with them and Mike, their other manager. And uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Great people, professional. Mike can talk the hind legs off a donkey mind, but in a nice way. So be prepared when you go there. He'll give you a brew and he will talk to you. As a rhyme. Uh, <laughs> I am doing some waffling. Camrider Warwick on Facebook camrider.com online and that is it for our sponsors until the next time out